It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. It's been a long time since I've been able to even say that. I've been actually really excited. There's a rumor going around that next week, Eric and I will be back in the studio and we're going to be recording, uh, kind of going back to our old series. So I'm actually really excited to be diving back into Ephesians in this Bible study journey with you. Uh, as such, I just figured it'd kind of be fun since it's been well over a month since we've been studying the book of Ephesians to kind of just walk through and kind of bring us all back to a reminder of where we were in our study. So basically, this Daily Thunder is just going to be a simple review of what we've covered so far in the book of Ephesians. But I think it's going to be profitable and edifying to all of us, not only one, just because I don't know about you, but I need the reminder of truth every single day. But it's also just going to be a just an encouragement, I think, as we begin to continue forward in our study uh, for you to, if you want to jump in and join us, uh, at least get you back up to speed. So obviously, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And of course, in verses one and two, he's given the greeting. It's a very typical greeting, <clears throat> combining both the Jewish and the Greek salutation. Uh, the Greek uh, being <clears throat> the uh, grace to you, and then the Jewish being peace or the word shalom. And as Paul jumps into the actual content of the of his book, in verses 3 down to verse 14, he's talking about the blessings that you and I have in God. And is it, I don't know about you, that is such an incredible thought. That it wasn't just that God created us and then just kind of sent us on our own. He actually wants relationship with us. And even more than that, he actually wants to give us blessing. Now, we walked through this very extensively <laughs> if, you were in, uh, if you're going through those sessions. But of all the blessings that God has for us, now again, this is not a comprehensive list, right? Verses 3 through verse 14 is kind of just a big overview of the blessings that we have. And it's really important to recognize that every single blessing that God has for you is not out there somewhere. It's contained in one single place, which is Jesus. And we get that from specifically verse 3. But everything that Paul's talking about in terms of the blessings finds its fulfillment in Jesus. In other words, it's not that I need Jesus plus this blessing. It's not I need Jesus plus love. It's not that I need Jesus plus peace. It's not that I need Jesus plus anything. The reality is I need Jesus. And when I have Jesus, as first or as Second Peter 1, 3 tells us, Peter says that everything, everything that you need for life and for godliness is found in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't need to look anywhere else. You need him. So if he's all things that I need, do you recognize that, hey, I, I have a blessing called adoption. But it's not that I have Jesus plus adoption. I have Jesus and he becomes my adoption. Oh, I get peace. Oh, but it's not that I get Jesus plus peace. I get Jesus who is the Prince of Peace, and he becomes the peace of my life. It's not that I get love. I get Jesus, who is my love. And it's an amazing reality that as you begin to walk through the blessings that we have, every single blessing is in Christ. In fact, that is the big theme through chapters 1 through 3. Paul, over 30 times, says, hey, you are in Christ, in him, in whom and he just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating as if we have forgotten. And again, in, in, in the biblical 
construct as you're studying, every time there's repetition, it's there for emphasis. So Paul is going out of his way saying, do you recognize that your entire life is to be grounded and founded in Jesus? That I don't go live my life for him. I live my life in him and I allow his life to be in me. And the reality of the Christian life is, oh, that I am in him and he is in me. And that is Christianity. That it's not me doing Christian activities. You can do the Christian activities and not be a Christian. It's not, well, I go to church on Sunday. Well, good for you. There's probably a mouse in the church as well, but that doesn't make the mouse a Christian, right? It's not showing up somewhere. It's not doing the activities. Yes, the activities will come. That if I have the life of Jesus within me, if I, if I am in him and he is in me, the reality is there are going to be activities that come out of my life, but it's not the activities that, that make me a Christian. I'm a Christian. Therefore I have activities. That makes sense to you. Uh, in other words, uh, dogs don't bark because they have to, they bark because they're a dog. It's just the natural reality of their life, right? So as a Christian, you, we've got to recognize it's not about doing a list of do's and don'ts that make you a Christian. Hey, if you found all the right things to do and you, and you did them as a checklist, you'd still die and go to hell because heaven and hell is not a checklist. Heaven and hell is not, well, did you do the activities? Heaven and, heaven and hell is determined by, do you have relationship with Jesus? Do you have his fullness? Do you have his life? Do you, are you just full of his presence? Oh, see that, that's see, that's what gets you in or that's what doesn't get you in, <laughs> right? It's that John 17, three, this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they might know that they might be wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with the living God. And if you have this, woo, you're in. If you don't have this, I'm sorry, we cannot call you a Christian. Though you may do all the activities and though you may go to church, you're not a Christian unless you have the relationship. And isn't it beautiful that Paul begins to walk through the blessings that we have in Jesus. And he says, do you realize that Jesus is the blessing itself? Which means the moment I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. And I don't need to go to Jesus for anything else. All I need to do is say, Jesus, I need more of you. I don't know, but I found that true to be in my life. Oh, I want that for you. Now, Paul begins to shift in verse 15, and Paul gets into the very first prayer that he prays. He prays another prayer in chapter 3, but in this first prayer, it goes from verse 15 of chapter 1 down to verse 19. And of course, he's praying some incredible things. He says, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 1.15, he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and I just cannot stop giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers. Now, here's the prayer itself in verse 17. He says, and I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, oh, get this, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul says that I'm praying that there would just be this unveiling, that the curtains would be pulled back and that you would begin to see and experience the deep things of God. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing in this time, in this day and age, in this culture to have a revelation, <laughs> this unveiling of the deep things of God in your life? See, what if you could see your circumstance and your situation and your life through the perspective that God has of it? I think that would change everything. Paul goes on and he says that, <clears throat> uh, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that they be awakened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So the heart of the prayer then is three specific things. Number one, that you would know the hope of his calling. Isn't it great that you have a calling? And it's not that you hope to have a calling. It's that you have a calling who, uh, and that calling produces the hope. And you'll never guess what the calling is. Oh, Jesus. That the calling, the foundational calling in your life is him. And so could you just, hey, could you embrace him? Could you just go after him? And again, as we dove into that passage, we were looking at two aspects of that idea of calling. One is the idea of giving of a name, right? That he has given you his name. You are called a Christian. Oh, it's so good. And the other idea was the invitation to a banquet. It's very relational. So, hey, you have a calling on your life. And yes, you may be called to be a teacher. You may be called to be a plumber. You may be called to be a circus clown. But ultimately, you have a calling on your life, and that calling is Jesus. And this calling does not go away. You cannot retire out of this calling. You have a calling. His name is Jesus. Paul goes on, and he says, not only the hope of his calling, he says, I'm praying that you would know, verse 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. That, wow, you have an inheritance. Guess what your inheritance is? Jesus. And it's amazing as you get into the scriptures, he is my inheritance and I am his inheritance. It's actually beautiful <laughs> to recognize that he is all that I need. And strangely, I am what he wants, that he, he wants to be in relationship with me. And somehow the fullness of his life is my inheritance. And as he goes on, in, or as he mentioned back in verse 13 and 14, what we have right now with a filling, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is merely a down payment of what we're going to have in the eternities. Isn't that an amazing thought? Ah, that, that gets me so excited to realize that the very best that we can experience this side of heaven, which is amazing, is still only a down payment of what we're going to experience for all eternity. Oh, that is, that is so good. And he says, thirdly, that he, uh, Paul says in verse 19, I pray that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power. And again, we've been spending a lot of time in verse 19 talking about the fact that the power of God really is indescribable. And so Paul uses four distinct Greek words to, to talk about the power of God. And he says, how do I begin to articulate this power? The power of God is overwhelming. And he begins to break it down in some illustrations. Now, where we left off in the last study, which feels like forever ago, was we were at the very end of the first illustration, which was Jesus. So just to kind of give you a quick review, he gives an illustration of the power of God demonstrated in the life of Jesus, which is verse 20 down through the end of the chapter, verse 23. And then in chapter two, verse one through 10, Paul gives the illustration of the power of God demonstrated in the life of a believer, in your life or my life. And then he gives the illustration in verse 11 down to verse 22 of the power of God demonstrated in the church. And the fact that the dividing wall has, has come down, there is no more division, that there only resides unity and peace in Jesus. And that obviously is a demonstration of the power of God. And then in chapter three, Paul gives another illustration, which is his own life and how his life is a demonstration of the power of God. So we're, we're, when we left off last time, we were at the very end of this first illustration. Now, I would like to read the verses 19 down to verse 23, just so it's in our mind. And I just want to give you a quick outline of where we've, where we've been. And then I would encourage you to, to join me in this study 
moving forward. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting verse 19. Paul writes, again, he's praying that you would know three key aspects. And he says, I pray that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Verse 20, which he performed or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, what an incredible passage. Now, I broke down that passage, and we've been walking through this, uh, into a few key sections. Uh, the very beginning of verse 20, I'm calling the performance, or it's the demonstration of God's power, which is found in the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, which is just an absolutely marvelous reality of the power of God. Uh, the end of verse 20, talking about the fact that all things have been placed under his feet, and he's been given this position far above. So the end of verse 20 through verse 21, I am calling the position. Uh, the end of verse 21 through verse 22, uh, I am calling the preeminence. The fact that, that all things have been placed in subjection under his feet. That he has this position which is above all else. Colossians says that he alone is the preeminent one. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Oh, I love that passage. In verse 23, which is what we looked at last time, uh, the very beginning of verse 23 talks about the fact that, that Jesus has been made head, this is the end of verse 22, head over all things for the church. And then verse 23 says this church, which is his body. And I'm calling that the person. And then the very end of verse 23, I'm calling the purpose. Why has God done all this? Why has God been demonstrating his power in the life of Jesus? Oh, it's so that the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's the purpose. So we really just have a couple more studies left in this little section. So next week, provided that the rumors are true, that we're going to be back in the studio and back into our normal series. And we're going to be looking at the fact of the church being the body of Christ. Again, if you want to go back and review, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those sessions. But in the last one, specifically, we're talking about the fact that he is the head. He is overall. So I would encourage you to at least go back and listen to that one and think about what does it mean for Christ to be in the position of headship? And so again, we walk through all that. So this next session, we're going to talk about the fact that we are his body. And what does it mean for us, the church, to be the body of Christ, especially in light of all this that Paul's been talking about? And then we're going to conclude by talking about the purpose and the fact that he is the, the talking about the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what an amazing reality and truth that is. And then we're going to be done with chapter one. Woo! This is exciting. And we'll be diving into chapter two. So I hope you can be joining me in these upcoming studies. I would encourage you, if you'd like to participate, be reading through chapter one and just begin to soak and saturate in this word and allow it just to become a part of your thinking. Begin to ask God, what did you mean when you wrote all this? That as Paul is pinning this, he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God, the author, what, what do you mean by the fact that we are your body. And again, I would encourage you to maybe do some study and join me as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23 next week. Well, I'm just encouraging you on that Christ really would be the fullness of your life, that he would be 
all in all, and that everything you need for life and for godliness, you would recognize is found in one single place, Jesus. Well, God blessing to you. I'm cheering you on, and I will see you next week in Ephesians chapter one. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.